0: Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to Swarfcast. Before we start, we have a quick favor to ask you. If you love the show, please rate it and write a review on your podcast app. Or tell somebody about it. It really makes a difference for us, and we'd appreciate it. Okay, on with the show.
1: Just to kind of give you uh, some framing... We did some proofs of concepts with the DOD that we were able to reduce a 265-day lead time for a part for an F-15 down to six hours from order to delivery. I don't have to reduce it down to hours to become a hero. I could just reduce it down to a couple days, right? What
0: would it have been at before the six hours? 265 days. This is SWARFcast. I'm Noah Graf. Today's guest on the show is Jim Reganor founder of Veritex, a company which helps clients dramatically reduce lead times and increases readiness for military and airline customers with blockchain technology. Blockchain can seem a bit mysterious to many people, including me. It's a concept that feels abstract, and it's often associated with cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. Hopefully after listening to this conversation, its value will seem a bit more tangible, As a used machine tool dealer specializing in high production equipment, I've encountered plenty of fire damaged machines. An average fire costs a business $300,000 to $500,000 and six to eight weeks of lost production time. Installed on over 15,000 CNC machines, FireTrace protects shops running oil-based coolants by automatically detecting and suppressing fires within seconds. After FireTrace stops a fire, its system quickly rearms, and you can have your machine back up and running in as little as 45 minutes. For more details, go to www.firetrace.com/swarfcast. That's www.firetrace.com/swarfcast. I'm really excited to have Jim Reganor the founder of Veritex on our show. Welcome to the show, Jim. Thank you, Noah.
1: Glad to be here. Looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Today, we're going to talk about blockchain. This is something that I've been interested in for a while, probably screwed up doing a little bit uh, like thousands of other people hoping to get rich quickly on the, the Bitcoin craze. But I'm going to want to get a real nitty-gritty explanation of blockchain uh, in this interview. And I sort of get it. But the thing I think that's a little harder to grasp is actually implementing it. And it sounds like that's what's been going on with what you're involved in. So I'm really excited to to learn about that. So first, I just want to get a, a quick overview of veritex and then i'm going to get your story because i've done a little research and it's pretty interesting and then i I want to really get into um blockchain
1: right on all right so a little bit about veritex Uh, we established veritex in uh, august of 2019 but it really was birthed out of another company i had before that which was the blockchain resources group And the technology itself was something i developed while working at moog Um, which is a large tier one OEM in aerospace and defense. Um, I subsequently left Moog and have licensed back the technology that I developed. And then Moog also partners with me in the project on Veritex. But what is Veritex? Veritex simply is, um, if you think, think in terms of a digital parts catalog for regulated industries that reduces long lead times, increases readiness for military and airline customers. And that's kind of the, 15-second elevator pitch on what Veritex is.
0: Okay, so it centers around airlines.
1: Airlines and military, and really being able to, really being able to compress those long lead times. Um, we did some POCs so just to kind of give you uh, some framing. We did some proofs of concepts with the DoD that we were able to reduce a 265-day lead time for a part for an F-15 down to six hours from order to delivery. So I don't have to reduce it down to hours to become a hero. I could just reduce it down to a couple days, right?
0: Well, what, would it, what would it have been at before the six hours? 265
1: days. Wow. <laughs> but these legacy systems that the DOD currently flies, a lot of aircrafts were built in the 80s, 70s, 60s, and even in the 50s um, with the B-52s and the kc one thirty five still flying. So being able to find parts, becomes difficult when you think about obsolescence. Uh, the original manufacturer probably went out of business years ago and some parts and processes have changed. So, so that's kind of where we stack up.
0: Interesting. Yeah. So the, the defense department, all of our stuff, I mean, I know we're, we are constantly spending lots of money and building things. How much, how much of our defense arsenal is outdated?
1: So I want to call it outdated. Um, we've got some good systems. They're uh, probably been over-manufactured, over-engineered back when they were built, so they have a long life. Um, but uh, quite a bit of the fleet, better than 50% of it's legacy fleet in the uh, in the Air Force and uh, a good amount of it in the Navy and Marine Corps' legacy. And the Army's got legacy fleet, whether they're helicopters, you know, the UH-60s and the AH-1s, the Cobras and the Blackhawks they fly were, were all built, uh, you know, in the Um, 80s primarily Mm -hmm. they've got a couple wars under their belt and and they're tired but but they're still very usable and very effective and still very lethal Um, but you know you need to be able to compress the supply chain so that you can increase the readiness rates. Some of the one-offs like the B-1 bomber um, they have to generate uh, a couple airplanes to get one airborne just because of all the issues Interesting. and part of that issue is for example it was built by Rockwell who went out of business or was acquired by Boeing depending on how you look at it And in the paper for the parts, it's been spread all over the place. So, uh, you know, being able to get one of those airplanes when it needs a spare part airborne is uh, at times difficult. And we're trying to help our DOD customer by uh, alleviating that burden and increasing those readiness rates. If you increase readiness rates, what do you do? You also increase lethality because you can put more bombs on target, more airplanes you can generate.
0: How do you think our defense compares to other countries? Is their stuff really old as well? Yeah, there's some even you
1: know some of the stuff that we want to retire we can actually give to other countries. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, so it, it's old, but 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 I'll tell you, you know, the edge that we have in the United States, and this is you know kind of part of probably you know the space that you're in and why we're talking, is really you know we have an innovation engine in this country that's unparalleled to anywhere else in the world. So being able to come up with ways to uh, to get around a lot of these challenges really is the strength of our economy and the strength of our industrial base and the strength of our nation.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Because, you know, you hear the criticism about, at least with consumer products now, we're not fixers, you know, an iPhone breaks and we throw it out. But I guess when it's billion dollar pieces of equipment,
1: you're you're better off uh, buying some spares and yeah. So we, we probably should do some qualifiers. We've gotten kind of down this uh, rabbit hole. Um, how about if I just kind of go over my background a little bit so people wonder why I'm talking about you know, the DoD and that sort of thing? That's great. Okay. So uh, before I came to Veritex, so I spent 31 years in the Air Force as a pilot flying KC-135s and C-17s. Um, did a lot of different things, worked in the White House for both the Bush and the Obama administration on the national security council. I, I like
0: in. how you just, you just kind of rattle off like, yeah, I, I, you know, I was, I was part of the security council. Yeah. Okay. Next line of business. Okay. Go, go on. Then I'll ask you about it.
1: A lot of people have more story and, uh, more story careers than I did. I, I was lucky. It's kind of eclectic. I worked in a little bit of a think tank called checkmate at one point in the air force and did a whole bunch of neat things, but. But I ended my career r- running a large logistics operation. Um, I had 15 locations in 11 countries across three continents, everything from the Azores, which is out in the Atlantic through the med five locations in Iraq and Afghanistan during the height of the war, all the way up to Manas and Kyrgyzstan, um, roughly moving 570,000 tons of cargo, 63,000 airplane touches and about 2 million people a year through that, um, organization that I ran. Um, and I was always wanting for parts. Mm. There was always a plane sitting somewhere going, if I just had that part, I could fly this plane or I could do what I needed to do. Um, so when I got out of the air force, I went to work at Moog, which is a tier one uh, aerospace company. And I was running their military aftermarket, which was perfect for me. We had acquired then a 3d print business and uh, up in Michigan. And I said, you know, what will 3d print enable? And I realized 3D printing would be commoditized, but it really would become an enabler for this digital um, industry 4.0 um, schema and how industries would then interact. And from there, we we kind of fell on a blockchain. And I'll talk about the scenario we developed as yeah. we get through the interview, but what led us to where we're at now and how blockchain became a very eloquent solution to a very difficult problem.
0: Yeah, well, I could see that 3D printing, when, when you were in the military, and you were needing all these parts. Did you guys have 3D printing at the time?
1: No. We did not. They had
0: to machine everything.
1: Yeah, we did not have 3D printing. The, the irony is 3D printing was really invented in 1987. But really, you needed all the materials to come together with the laser science and the metals and the powders and all that, really, to get this mass adoption. And really, the thing that changed it is around 2000, 2001, the dental industry figured that out with uh, being able to make implants and caps and crowns. And from there, it just kind of it, it accelerated. And companies like uh, EOS over in Germany and Renishaw and others um, really got the metal science down, the powders down. We're able to start doing powder bed laser. And there's mm-hmm. there's multiple different uh, different types of 3D printing, but in the complex parts, those are probably the the most popular way to do it. But but all of a sudden, you know, it started this this whole chain of events, and and really the whole chain of events was you know, what will 3D printing enable? What's the end state? What's the tellus, as the Greeks would say, of, you know, this new world as a result of this new technology? And, uh, and it really allows you, when you can couple it up with blockchain, to create what we're calling the fourth modality of logistics. So if you think in terms now, no, when you buy a part, it either comes to you on a ship, on a train, or uh, or or uh, a plane, right? That's yes. kind of, or a truck, you know, it kind of moves over the road like that. But with this new modality, we can now move digital assets anywhere in the world through the cloud and the internet down to the point of, uh, of need and manufacture it really at the site. And that has not been something we've been able to do. If you think back to the early assembly lines, in the early 1900, there was a guy named Coase who was an economist. He wrote a paper called The Firm and said, look, we have to have these large firms because there's no trust. I can't trust my supply chain is going to create everything the way it's supposed to be. So I need to be able to centralize this assembly and push things out. I think a really good example is the 787 when they got the first forward plug of the fuselage um, from Vought at the time. It did not fit what Boeing had made for the plug. It was off by a couple millimeters. But think about that. Now you're doing, you know, you're making a large assembly, the whole front cockpit and everything. And it has to marry up to what Boeing had put together. It's off a few centimeters. I mean, a few millimeters, you go, got oh, no big deal. Well, yeah, huge deal. What a cluster. And so, so at the end of the day, you know, Boeing ended up buying bot and uh, you know, putting a lot of their, a lot of their uh, 787 production down in Charleston as a result of that, that's where it was at. But now all of a sudden with this blockchain, which, which is when you marry up blockchain with a digital asset, you can create a unit of value. You can democratize that trust and push it out to the edge and manufacture on the edge. And that's what we're doing.
0: Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graphpinkert.com. That's www.g dot com. All right, Jim, I kind of get this because I've I've made a study of it, but we need to start from square one here. Blockchain Give us, give us the five-year-old version, blockchain, Bitcoin, you know, I know then we can get into tokens and all this stuff, and this is gonna go over people's heads
1: unless we can zero in. Sure, so so the upside is that the five-year-old version is really the version, so, so it works okay. Good. I'm a geographer by trade, so you don't require anything uh, special education-wise to really understand what we're doing. But when you think in terms of blockchain, blockchain is really just a distributed ledger. So so think about uh, you and I, and we'll take a third party, somebody else. Um, We all record, I owe somebody $10. We all record that I owe somebody $10. So there's three of us in the scheme. All right. But I want to cheat you. I write down on my ledger, on my notepad, that I owe you $9. And so you're going to come back and you're going to go, well, Jim, you really owe me $10. I'm going to go, no, I wrote down $9. And then you're going to turn to the third party and you're going to say what do you have written down and the two of you have ten dollars written down so by default the truth then becomes ten dollars so so i really owe you ten dollars so so if you think in terms of a distributed ledger of information through all kinds of nodes where that in order to defeat that ledger or to corrupt it or to um, change an entry you have to at simultaneously change 51 percent at exactly the same time with the exact same amount and we're talking about hundreds and sometimes thousands of notes it's nearly impossible to do in fact it it is impossible today Um, so it's an append-only ledger so let's say that you want to go in and and let's say i really owed you 10.50 and we all agree they owe you 10.50 well what we'd be able to do is go in and we would all record another page on top of the one that said ten dollars and we say it's 10.50 now we couldn't go back and actually erase the ten dollars on your pad we would have to create another page on top of it. So you see everything that's happened and it's an append-only type of a schema. The other piece it is, is it's transparent. So anybody, let's say there's a fourth party and he wants to look at all of our ledgers. So all those notepads and all the different pages stacked up on it would be visible to that other person. So now you have transparency, you have an append-only ledger. And the last thing is, it's immutable. So it creates trust by the fact that I can't go in and change it. I can only append only it's transparent and it represents the truth. Once we have consensus, which was, you know, your page with, with the third party page. So, so now all of a sudden you've got a schema that allows contracts to be written and other things that you can say, Hey, look, I can track every single thing that's ever happened to this. So it's, so it's pretty cool. It's like a pedigree. You know, you can track all the way through the lineage of that asset. Now, how do you unmoor that from cryptocurrency? Because typically when everything started, you know, the FOMO, the fear of missing out was about Bitcoin and all this stuff last two or two years ago when it, you know, went through the roof to 17,000, um, people's grandmothers were buying Bitcoin, which is kind of funny, but, but when you uncouple Bitcoin currency from that uh, immutable transparent record or ledger, you now create a very powerful tool that can be used for a lot of different things, um, whether it's going to be used for expediency in transactions, um, whether it's going to be used to track and trace aircraft parts. Whether it's going to be used to track and trace foodstuffs, a great example is Walmart. And last year, told their lettuce suppliers after an E. coli outbreak, uh, outbreak that in order to sell your lettuce at my Walmart store, you're going to have to be on my blockchain. In other words, I'm going to have to be able to see every single thing that's happened to that lettuce before it went on my shelf. So, in the event that something bad an E. coli outbreak comes, I can track it very quickly and mitigate the risk to my consumer base. And oh, by the way, if you don't get on my blockchain, then you can't sell, which is kind of cool. So depending on where you are in the value chain, you can use that to help shape behavior. Now let's say that lettuce suppliers transporter said, you know, the guy, he puts the lettuce on the truck and it takes a while. Well, let's say that guy said, Hey, in order to use my truck, you're going to have to be on my blockchain. The lettuce supplier would go, yeah, that's fine. I'll find another truck. All right. Because he's not in the right place in the value chain to help shape that behavior. On the other end of the value chain let's say that lettuce supplier now sells to kroger and kroger comes to him and says hey in order to sell at kroger you must be on the kroger blockchain now that lettuce supplier is going well how many blockchains do i have to be on and oh by the way i have to pay for this i'm not getting funds from anybody so i have to absorb this cost so what you saw was a consolidation in a, a blockchain consortia around what's called um food trust which is put on by ibm so you see others using that to try to try to consolidate the market to create a single pipe for that lettuce supplier.
0: Okay, so I kind of get it, but I wanna physically understand, are there people like sitting at their computers that are monitoring this? How is it physically, and you're saying this infrastructure is here
1: right now and people are using this? Yes. Okay. A lot of people are using blockchain today. And it's simply, it runs in the background. You don't see that it's blockchain. Mm -hmm. You'll have a UI, a user interface Um, and you'll log on to the website and you'll upload the data. Um, A lot of times, you know, if you think of kind of an IoT Internet of Things solution, you'll have a uh, QR code or or a barcode that you're able to track that information. So you'll take your scanner or whatever and say, okay, I just picked this head of lettuce from here Um, Here's everything that's been applied to this lettuce. Here's all the different chemicals and everything I've used. You're, You're following that as you're doing it. So every time you do something, it's uploaded and attached against what's in your field. And then as it moves, another ledger page is written and said, okay, it got on this truck and it went to this distribution warehouse. But that's all data that's being tracked. And there's a humanality to it. It's either somebody's pushing the data in or there's a sensor that's saying, okay, it's at this location. And it gets you all the way to the store. In our case, with an aircraft part, it actually starts with the initial requirement. So somebody will come out and say, hey, Jim, I need you to make this part. Here are the requirements. It has to have these material properties. It has to be machined this way. It has to be made out of this material on this type of machine. We then take that part. We record all that information into a blockchain, and we now move it through. the goes to a designer, goes to uh, you know somebody on the manufacturing side. There's some quality inspections, all that stuff that happens along the way is all recorded in individual pages on that ledger. So when the part is ready to become a physical part, everything that's ever happened to that part left of the transition to, from a digital to a physical design to a physical to a digital design of physical part is recorded on blockchain.
0: Okay, so it's, it's recorded it's recorded in this central is it? No, it's not a centralized computer. Oh, it's a
1: decentralized.
0: It's decentralized. So okay. every so everybody that has all of these computers, it's not actually people, right? It's just a whole bunch of computers decentralized and they're all keeping track of the data at the same time so
1: nobody can question the yeah. other. Is that what it is? Yeah. So well, so that you have distributed trust. So so for example, if your machine goes down, I know that the data is still alive somewhere else. Or if somebody attacks you know, a couple of machines. I know that the data, the truth, still resides somewhere else. There's a couple of different ways to establish truth, but those it becomes complicated. if We go there. Just realize that the majority of people say it's the truth, and it's the no say it's the truth. And it's the truth. So think about this with aircraft parts. Today, all that happens, but it's one stream of information on paper at the site where the parts being manufactured. So now let's say I've converted that into a physical part, and I now ship it to Boeing. But I forget a couple of the pages. They fall out, something happens. Well, Boeing receives it and they go, you know, I'm missing some pages here. I need this in order for it to go on the airplane. It's required by the FAA. I have to have this information. This part now becomes a paperweight until I can get that fixed. You know, Airbus told us uh, very early on that they spend upwards of $40,000 a part when it comes with incomplete or bad paperwork, trying to get it sorted out. Mm -hmm. Now think in terms of your synchronized production facility and you need this part in order to put it into an assembly, which then goes into a system. Well, that's all slowed down, right? And the things that companies want to keep off of their balance sheet really work against you. For example, inventory. Every company wants to minimize inventory because it's a draw on balance sheets, downward pressure, Right. and downward pressure. So I only want to maintain as many as I need to keep my production machine going, maybe a couple spares. But now all of a sudden, if something happens, you know, now I'm consuming and nothing's coming in, right? The other thing you can do is if something happens and i have to change it let's say that there's a there's a design flaw and i realize that realize that well now i can very quickly look at where um you know where it's already in place and what airplanes i might have to go take it back out of so you can do what's called rapid forensics the other piece we're doing is using the blockchain force authenticity of data so i'm able to track the data all the way through and make sure that nobody's corrupted my data, that digital file, and then process. I can build a digital workflow that says all these steps have to be taken in order for it to be a good part. So I track it all the way through that. That's what's on the ledgers. And then finally, we can use it to say this is an authentic part. There's about $3 billion a year of, of counterfeit parts that get into the aerospace supply chain.
0: And that is a
1: terrible place for a bad part. Well, yeah, high consequence of failure, right? I mean, the airplane falls out of the sky. Fortunately, airlines build airplanes with uh, triple redundancy now. But so, but think in these terms: you now have a part a counterfeit that's typically non-complex, but you now have a way to make complex parts without a um, big draw on cost of production. You don't have to go build a huge factory machine shop when you can 3D print parts. Yes. So now, all of a sudden, you're incentivizing the counterfeiters to start counterfeiting more complex parts so they can extract more money. So, but with our system, you're able to take that part, and we can tell you if it's authentic or not,
0: right? Because the machines are hooked into the blockchain system?
1: Well, we have an SSI, so self-sovereign identification for the machines and the people as they touch it. So that gives you kind of the chain of custody. But once it's delivered on your shelf, you kind of lose that. So what we're able to do is look at the part itself and doing some uh, some tech that I don't want to describe here, but we're able to take, a take a will say, a high-res photograph of the part and say, okay, this is an authentic part by looking at different attributes of the part as opposed to you have a part that looks like it but it's not attributable. And we link that authentication or fingerprint, so to speak, to the part number, whether it's a QR code or serialization or whatever. So if you were to pick it up and scan it and it says this part exists, you know either the part in your hand or a part somewhere on the shelf or in the fleet is counterfeit. So you can mitigate that risk very quickly. Um, and that's got, you know, tremendous value when you think about it. As you said before, it's a high consequence of failure.
0: Yeah.
1: Or it fails on an airplane and you're flying, right?
0: Yeah. So we have a, you know, we have a lot of listeners that are in the aerospace business. We have a lot of job shops. We have a lot of people in automotive. Say you're a, a job shop. Say you're, say you're tier three. We, we focus on turn parts, but in some turn parts industry, where does this, affect you? Does it affect you directly or is it only affecting the, the next people on the food chain?
1: No, I think, I think actually the, the, the tier twos below are, are the ones that this could be most impactful for, especially when they're looking at new value. And here's why I'm a tier three, tier four. Can I afford to have SAP ERP? Most likely not. Can I afford to have Siemens team center? Most likely not. Right. Those are big, expensive programs. So how do I create channels to market? How do I create new value? it's being able to be able to come on a platform like Veritex. Remember, we're not making anything. What we're doing is stitching everything together and providing integrity rail. Yes. Right. So if you're a job shop, you can come on Veritex. And now let's say, let's say you need a metallurgist that uh, for titanium and you're a job shop that you just bid on a titanium job, but you don't want to have a full-time metallurgist. We've have a partner um, circle, for example, or others that can provide you a metallurgist out of this gig economy schema. We've got partners all the way across our value stream. Couple of ways to bring people to a platform. One is content. So if you're a job shop and you have IP and content you want to list, we're, we're a catalog for that. Two is bringing services. We bring a very good portfolio of services back out to our customers. You know, um, companies like 3D Usher that I'll tell you what's the best machine powder mix, um, upconvert 2D paper to 3D models. You know, let's say you're a job shop and you're sitting in Waterloo, Iowa, and it's harvest season, mm-hmm. and somebody comes in and says, "Hey, my combines broke down, or my whatever is broke. I need this part." And, uh, they call John Deere and John Deere, you know, it's a 1960s combine that's still running like a champ because you know, when they call John Deere and they say, Hey, look, we'll get you that part. It's going to be two weeks. And he'll be like, yeah, t- two weeks too long. I got to cut now. Right. But now if John Deere can create a digital model or has that part digitized, they can push it to that job shop in Waterloo. They can print it up, give it to the, uh, give it to the farmer and he puts it on his, on his combine and he's cutting again. He's cutting wheat. He's making money so so we start thinking in those terms there's plenty of opportunity for the sub tiers the local job shops to actually make money and increase value for their customers if i can give give a plug if anybody's got plug questions. plug them away plug them away if anybody's got questions please reach out you'll find our uh, our email address uh on the website or you can reach out to jim at veritex v-e-r-i-t-x dot c-o i'm happy to answer those questions um if you got suppliers out there that are interested um, Right now, we're trying to put together letters of intent. Um, you know, as we go forward to show and start to build out catalog. Um, eventually, we'll be uh, you know uploading catalog. But but looking for people who want to create value, and uh, looking for like-minded people who are innovators. And I uh, very much appreciate being able to share our story. From today's machining
0: world, this is a Swarfcast production. If you like this episode. Please subscribe to the show and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and todaysmachiningworld.com to see extended video interviews and join our mailing list. I'm Noah Graff. Our audio engineer is Bill Steffi. Our managing editor is Ridgely Dunn. For information on advertising or to submit an idea for a future podcast, follow the contact information on todaysmachiningworld.com.